Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we return with the second part of our three-part series for you with a fabulous Mike Davis, who is a client of Aspect Legal. And in this three-part series, we're talking all about Mike's interesting journey in acquiring and exiting multiple businesses over his 41-year career. Today, in this second part of our three-part series, we dig into Mike's venture capital experience, the conflict and breakdown of relationships between shareholders and how exiting the business affected Mike's life. So buckle in and here we go with part two of our three-part series with Mike. Okay, well, this is what I was going to say. You, you, um, you've used the word we a few times. So, so just going back to this meeting in 1999 where it's put on the table, potentially you could have the opportunity to buy it back. So at that point then, talk me through the mechanics. Did you come back on your own then or did you come back with others at that point to start? I, I came back with some of the staff. Some, of, some of the staff, right, yes. okay. And then, But you as the sole owner or? Uh, uh, me as the majority owner. Yep. Uh-huh. With a class of shares for the employees. Got it. I love it. And, and tell me a little bit about that. How do you feel on reflection what do you think the positives and negatives are of employees holding shares? Well, the positives are if it's uh, handled correctly, it gets buying mm. to the vision. Yeah. If they haven't got buying to the vision but own shares, they're going to be nuisances. Yeah, yeah. And we did, we did have a few who, who rolled out of the business because mm. they weren't in for the long term, but there's a couple of, employees still in that business who have had fundamental shareholding in the business mm, in the early days. Yeah. Only minor shares mm. you needed, but major control. Mm. Mm. But the VC experience, uh, it was like jumping out of the pot into the fire. <laughs> well, let's talk, to, let's talk about the VC experience then. So how did the VC experience come about? What happened to you? Well, the VC, frankly, didn't offer any value for growth of the business. Right. And, and it, it tended to be because he, he it, maybe that's because it's a specialised business mm. uh, that, that, you know, is not, it's not a, uh, a software company that's making apps and that sort of thing. It's uh, quite specialised in what it does. Uh, maybe because also it has an element of old world business in it. Yeah. Basic electrical engineering. But it became quite clear as we moved on that, uh, that having a VC there was a, a, a bit of a millstone around the neck. Right. Because, because the cash was being throttled on his, uh, which he didn't put it in his equity, he put it in his loan funds. Right. I see. I see. Right. And and what was the idea, what was your idea at the time of getting a VC on board was it that presumably it it was about getting access to more capital at the time. 
Correct. Yeah, and I was intoxicated by young Kerry Packer and people like that running around town, turning Aussie mail into billion-dollar companies and uh, yeah. that sort of thing. I said maybe there's an opportunity to do that with machines. Yeah. If we got the right app, we could uh, bring controls in machines. But it's so fragmented, that market. It didn't yeah. happen. didn't work for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, But we needed the cash too. Right. We, we, we needed the cash. And so then what happened with the VC? Oh, so the VC didn't hold equity at that point. They had simply provided, it, it was more about loan funds, was it? Uh, or, he, he had equity in terms oh, he did of have equity. Avert, no, convertible notes. Right. I see, I see, I see. He had convertible notes, hanging, which is a, the sort of Democles hanging over your head. Don't pay the loan back. Don't pay the interest. Yeah. I'll convert. Yeah, yeah. Those notes. So, so it it really uh, he 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 was in business. He needed to protect his interests also. Mm. Uh, but you know, we were naive in some senses of entering into that space because mm. it's a, it's a very difficult space if you don't have the growth and you don't meet the business plan. Yeah. To to be able to extract yourself from. Yeah. And there was no such thing in that relationship as a shareholders' agreement. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh-huh. There were there were contracts uh, written by the C- VC. Yeah. And the contract said nothing about we're going to do this with this business. We're going to do this, 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 and when we hit this milestone, mm. uh, uh, we'll exit. And the way we'll exit is through a trade sale or listing or some something along those lines. Mm. And had you had legal advice at that point? No, lawyers. Uh... <laughs> you weren't in love with them right then. <laughs> well, you know, no, well, it wasn't, it wasn't so much that legal people put the contracts with the VC together. Yeah. But, you know, lawyers in terms of us, with due respect, I'm a, I'm a, I've been converted now, a new man. <laughs> But I'm not paying respect, you to say this, Mike. <laughs> no, no. The lawyers, lawyers who knows where you went to buy a house. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Not to run a business. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That's the thinking, and I'm sure that thinking remains uh, in the majority of small businesses across this country at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when when was it that you started to change your thinking on on that approach to lawyers was it was it just right at the end when when we uh, met it, you or was oh, no it was in 2010 right uh in 2010 uh the vc said i'm closing up the fund mm-hmm. you go out and get someone to buy might take my place mm-hmm. so there i was again i wasn't in a position to go to a bank and say mm-hmm. give me so much to get rid of this vc mm. So I had to find equity partners. I told you I was a slow learner. <laughs> Are we back to equity partners? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and so how did you find them? Through the industry and through contacts. Yep. Uh-huh. And it turned out that in the equity partners I had, one was a lawyer. Right. I see. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so talk us through the process there. Obviously, you've had this this experience in in the past where you'd had ideas of bringing people on board in a number of different 
ways and it hadn't quite worked. So so you're coming at it from this position of, of having seen, you know, some of the learnings from the past. Was there anything that you did differently this time in terms of evaluating, you know, who to bring on board as partners or what, what does that like as you progress through to, you, you know, the next deal, bringing on the next partners? Well, in 2010, it, it didn't contain any of that sort of thinking in my mind. Mm. Mm. In in my mind was we needed to keep this business going. Yeah, we had a whole lot of families dependent on the business going. We yeah. could have uh, we could have liquidated the business, mm. uh, but we needed to keep this this going. Mm. And and uh, so I wasn't desperate, but I was pretty close to it because mm. I was under a lot of pressure to uh, of other nominees of the VC company taking coming in who knew nothing about the business. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted at least to choose the type of person I had coming in the business. But once again, that old bottle of red wine and a dinner. <laughs> it was red wine again. I love it. Mike, Mike. <laughs> I can see here one of our lessons. <laughs> Something yes. about red, red wine when we. <laughs> I don't touch it now. I don't touch it. <laughs> Well, red wine on its own is okay. I guess it's just in partnership with (laughs) entering into, yeah, (laughs) business deals. (laughs) And there's a whole lot of enthusiasm and uh, so on. But uh, the partners that I chose on on the the way around this time, the company started to grow well. We won big contracts with multinational companies, uh, took contracts in the USA. Yeah. Uh, so we were we're doing quite well, but the new partners were non-exec directors. Yeah. But they were very uh, involved in day-to-day operation. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yep. And that and that led to conflict. Conflict. But and, yes. and do you think part of that once again comes from you know the difficulty when you've run a race so long on your own and you have really strong feelings about what it is that drives the success of a business and and having that issue that maybe you don't always have the same um, vision of what it is that is fundamental to the success of a business than others? Well, I think it's priority on vision that yep. is the main conflict. I, I'm sure I knew it was time in the business when they used to start to call me the old man. <laughs> don't, don't let the old man hear you say that. <laughs> And you felt that was perhaps a, uh, <laughs> that was a signal. <laughs> that, that was a signal. <laughs> but but you do get, the, the, the thing about it, Joanna, is there's not a lot of scope in the type of industry that I'm in, in electrical engineering, for creativity. Yeah, right. You know, electrical machines have always and always will obey the laws of physics. Mm. Mm. Whereas businesses tend to obey the laws of man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and true. and that's that's where the major conflict uh, came in my mind in the business is that I was uh, focused on doing the right thing around the machines and the knowledge I'd gathered over fifty years of working with those machines. Mm. I I had a, a a reasonable understanding of the customers' expectations. Yeah. And how to make them satisfied that 
we were doing the best for them. Yeah. And they were priorities for me in the business. Yeah. Other people, even though you have a shareholders agreement, it doesn't address the fact what is the priorities of your equity partner mm. Mm. in the business? Is his priority to get enough, have no in, no debtors over 60 days? Yeah. Well, that's a noble priority, but is it the most important thing? Yeah. Because there could be one at 120 that's got a problem and it could be our problem. Yeah. So getting people there who didn't have the customer focus but only saw the business in one dimension tended to dislocate the management team of the business. Yeah. And that intervention on behalf of directors into those little pockets of the business when they were non-exec directors created a whole lot of tension in the business. And eventually I felt I'm not an old man, but I should do what old men do. What's that? Hand hand this business over to someone else. Yeah, right. And I exited the business. Yeah. So there's a vein that ran from 1981 in that business right through to 2021, Mm. 40 years of history, Mm. that I knew that exit button needed to be pressed. Yeah. And how did how did you feel after exiting? What what is that feeling? Is it you, you know is it a feeling of you know because I, I feel that there's an, a lot of emotion at sale in terms of you know there's something that's been your business baby, you know, that you've grown all this time and then now you're not there at the helm anymore. Is is mm. that how it feels? Talk me through that. Yeah, well, there is the, emo- the emotional side. You can't mm. change history. Mm. And when you're a founder, the business is in the past, is, is the past, the future. It doesn't belong to you, but it does now. Yeah. And and it is a, is a closing of a door mm. out there. But uh, that can be liberating. And in my case, it's been tremendously liberating. Oh, isn't that fabulous? That's because I, how can I, do I close the door on 40 years of business experience, mm. an additional 10 or 15 years of uh, engineering experience at the front end of it mm. and just go off to the beach house? <laughs> yeah. Well, my guess is, and and I know you. I, I don't think that's the Mike Davis way. Is that uh, right? <laughs> no, and I think a lot a lot of people uh, do that, and and it's yeah. great for three months. Uh, yeah. But then what? You still then need what? to. Yes, uh, there's a whole lot of value and experience there. Yeah, and 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 I think Albert Einstein put it succinctly: you you there's only one place. You get knowledge, and that's through experience. Yeah. And you just can't shut the door on knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And, and experience in your life, you need to share it. And now my, I'm heading off in new directions of sharing that knowledge and mentoring people who need to understand the laws of physics and what goes on. So it's mm. I'm starting another business, but you'll be happy to know, Joanna, that <laughs> There's 100% equity mine and there's none available for anyone right, else. Right, got it. Okay, all right. But, and if there is, well, we'll sit down together and we'll do that shareholders agreement yes, before, yes. before you get near the bottle of red wine. Yeah. <laughs> well, the interesting thing about the shareholders agreement in the last chapter of uh, yeah. business that I've just recently ex- is that it really didn't, in my view, function as designed. Yeah. Yeah. It had shortcomings. So there are shareholders' agreements and yeah. shareholders' agreements. 
Yeah. You need to seek independent advice on this. Yeah. Yeah. And you need to face up the, and look at the worst case scenario and see if that document is robust enough to protect everyone's interest. I completely agree. And of course, I'm a lawyer. So of course, I would say that. But, you know, this is from experience, isn't it, Mike? And and it's hard, isn't it? Because I think the very essence of what what makes for a successful entrepreneur that willingness to back yourself, that optimism about the future is quite often exactly what prevents us from taking the right advice and steps when we're entering into these sorts of deals, right? It's almost behind our blinkers, you know. It's about emotion, you know, remove the emotion. You've got to be cold and objective. Yeah. You need to gather objective uh, information on how these sort of things are going to happen in the end. And it took me took me 40 years to come to that realisation. Yeah, right. Well, you got there. <laughs> That's right. But if With the cart, more than one story to tell along the way. <laughs> if the cart uh, came before the horse. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew all that back then. I can't tell you what the business would have looked like. Yeah. Because you can't <laughs> tell the future. Of course. No, absolutely. But of course, you know, it may have been different, but who knows? Who knows with the sliding doors moments? Well, that's it for part two of our three-part series, all about a very interesting story of how our client, Mike Davis, went from zero to small business hero. Stay tuned for our next third and last part of this three-part series, where we look at how to choose the perfect deal team, the benefits of exiting early, how having a customer culture and encouraging training within your staff is important. And we also talk about a few tips and lessons Mike has learned from his incredible experience. Experience. So don't forget to tune in to the last part of this three-part series. And of course, if you didn't hear part one, then make sure you head back to the episode just before this one so you can listen to Mike talk um, all about the initial part of his business journey in part one of this three-part series. And if you'd like to find more information about this topic, then head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to download a transcript of this episode if you'd like to read it in more details. And of course, there you'll be able to find out how to contact Mike Davis and our legal eagles at Aspect Legal if you would like any legal assistance with any of your sale or acquisition matters. And finally, if you enjoyed what you heard today, then don't forget to pop over to iTunes and leave us a review. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oakey and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. 
Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. Thank you.